You're listening to a podcast from Meaning of Life TV. Richard Thompson, it is very nice to see you. You too, Dan Kaufman. Okay, so um, first of all, I want to welcome everyone at Meaning of Life TV, especially the people in the Sophia audience. I am Dan Kaufman, the host of Sophia. Um, I'm a professor of philosophy at Missouri State University. I'm the uh, uh, editor and publisher of the Electric Agora and uh, obviously uh, also host this program. I am really, really pleased to be joined by uh, Richard Thompson. And Richard, could you give a little short bio of yourself and maybe even uh, let blogging heads, viewers in on a little something about you uh, that they might, that they wouldn't otherwise know? Okay. Uh, so yeah, as, so who you are, as in who you are relative to them, who they oh, know. Yes. So um, my uh, my handle on the comment section at Blogging Hits TV is myself eighty eight. Um, I kind of go through cycles of sort of frantic activity, and then I disappear for a while, and then I come back and do it again. Right. Um, probably, I guess I'm probably one of the more argumentative people there, although maybe. I'm sure there are more <laughs> worse offenders. Um, so my my training in my professional life is as a clinical psychologist. I do research uh, primarily on child abuse and neglect and on um, sort of the effects of adversity long-term in people's uh, psychological adjustment. Um, I currently work in academic medicine, so it's a, uh, I don't do any clinical work, nor have I really ever done much clinical work. So you work at, are you part of a medical school program, in a medical school environment? Uh, yes. Although in practical terms, like it's a, it's a strictly research position. So it's, it's, you know, the, uh, the physicians I work with and I uh, basically do data analysis and write papers. It's pretty, it's pretty epidemiological right now. So it's very. The point uh, is you're not in a psych department. You're not in an academic psych department. No, I'm in a uh, public health department. Have you ever been in an academic psych department? Uh, no. So this is, okay. So we didn't discuss this last time, but so, um, I was in an academic psychiatry department when I first, uh, in my postdoc at university of Pennsylvania in the, uh, late nineties, early aughts. Um, but there again, it was primarily research driven. We were looking at among other things, suicide in the VA system, mm. um, so, sort of, alternatives to how to uh, treat depression in primary care and that kind of thing. Gotcha. Um, so but then after that, that, you've not taught psychology to students in a traditional psychology program. In other words, I've avoided teaching as much as humanly possible. Although I've, I've, um, you been should on a try lot of- it. It's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's an acquired taste, but I've, I've been on, I've helped uh, doctoral students get their dissertations done and I've kind of mentored. I, I much prefer, kind of one-on-one mentoring than group stuff. So you've served uh, on doctoral committees for people getting PhDs in clinical psych. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and social psych, you know, sometimes. Very nice. Um, trying to think. Oh yeah. So, um, but after my postdoc, which is where I met my wife, I followed her um, when she moved and got a job at a nonprofit organization that had a research department and we published academic in the academic literature, but I was working for a nonprofit, right. which kind of makes my academic uh, situation a little non-traditional. Um, I've been in this, I've been in the, uh, back in the uh, 
academic medicine for the past three years or so. Gotcha. After that hiatus, not hiatus, because I was actually very productive in terms of writing, but um, working for a nonprofit. So the occasion on which we, we come together, um, which is uh, a very happy thing for me, um, um, you know, one of the really extraordinary things about blogging heads, it seems to me, is that you have people like you in the audience who are really just, you know, viewers and commentators. But then when you're on long enough, you almost sort of get to know these people and you find out that they've got all sorts of interesting backgrounds and expertise that then you could bring them into the dialogue uh, uh, universe and that, to me, is really um, uh, one of the most rewarding things about the medium. Um, it's one of the best things about the medium. And so the occasion of this is that, so um, Richard, i.e. myself and I, I mean, we've gone back and forth in the comments sections now for years. And oftentimes, you know, you're, you're, you're pretty critical of my view. But I've always found that we have very good conversations. I, can't, I don't think we ever descended into the kind of nasty exchange or if we have it's been very very temporary um yeah so um it's nice to have somebody who you can have such a good conversation with who's sufficiently educated and who um disagrees with you enough that it's not just a cheer a cheerleading party right um and so we're, we're i'm having you on because um a recent dialogue that i did with crispin sartwell the last one where we talked about boys uh, and 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 girls and sex and gender and mostly focusing on what's going on with boys today, especially in school, um, led me to say certain things about gender identity that then got me all riled up and made me write an essay on gender identity. That then, given that you were critical in the comments of what I had to say on the Sartwell dialogue. I then emailed you privately and sent this to you and said, Hey, do you want to do something on this? And you did. And we had a, the audience should know we had a substantial conversation uh, privately before this, just so we could see what, what there was there to talk about. And so this is now the result of that, of that exchange that we had. And so the way we're going to do this is that Richard is going to, um, not so much host, but he's going to be pretty much talking to me about my article and the things on where he disagrees or where he thinks there's important questions to ask. And that's how we're going to, we're going to do this. Is that, does that sound about right? Yeah, sure. I, I, you know, I, I should preface this by saying I, this is not, I have no particular expertise in this domain at all. I just have opinions. So, um, uh, but yeah, so and I, I'm sure you're going to link to the uh, the article in the. Yes, I'm going to hold on one second. I'm going to close my window because I think noise. Yes, I'm going to um, I'm going to link to the article, and as is often the case with these issues, the issues are moving so fast. There's already now been another sort of pretty substantial piece published by a philosopher named Kathleen Stock at the University of Sussex, who, funnily enough, I happen to know going back a long way because. She's a member of the British Society of Aesthetics, and I used to give papers there in Oxford um, for years, and so I know her personally. Um, she published an article uh, just recently in the magazine called Medium, where she expresses um, a, a lot of similar criticisms to the ones that I do, uh, as well as some others from a more traditional feminist uh, perspective. So this issue is kind of in motion. It's very hot right now, and so I'm going to link, try to link to as many relevant things as I can um, in the in the comment in the link section, so that people can develop their own considered opinion. Um, how do you want to start out? Do you want to just start out by me summarizing what the main argument is, or do you want to just start right in with questions and let people figure out what the argument is as we go along? Why don't you just kind of summarize, give, give like an elevator pitch of your article? Uh, you know, just like just 
sort of in a thumbnail sketch if that there's a way to do that justice. And sure. then we can kind of move from there if that's okay. Sure, sure. So um, the thesis of the article is that gender identity, as opposed to gender expression and gender presentation, that gender identity is probably not a philosophically sustainable notion, uh, not a philosophically st- sustainable ontological category, and that it also has proven to be divisive in a way that I think hurts the civil rights coalition rather than helps it. Um, and part of what's led me to think this is the what's now become a pretty vicious fight between gender identity activists and some some traditional feminists and traditional gay and lesbian activists, and especially lesbian activists, because the issue was primarily surrounding trans uh, trans women, um, and largely because, in my view, it seems that there's just way more of it's a far higher percentage of the trans population are trans women as opposed to trans men, um, and um, and certainly the, the, the it's been the most high profile in terms of the conversation. Um, um, it's trans women trying to get into all women's colleges. It's it's those sorts of conversations that have led to um, a lot of tension between a traditional feminist community and also the um, uh, some sectors of the gay lesbian community that's in my view been very destructive um, um, and um, threatens to break the civil rights coalition apart in a way that I think is dangerous um, in my view the solution to all of this is as I typically think good old classical liberalism and the traditional conception of civil rights. And um, so I'm advocating in the piece that we simply scrap the idea of gender identity altogether um, and simply retain sexual identity and then gender expression and presentation, and that we make a traditional civil rights argument for trans people that they should be uh, uh, completely toler- tolerated and protected legally um, uh, uh, and also make a moral case socially and culturally in their gender presentation and expression, um, and that that um, should addresses all the the relevant concerns, and thus we don't need to get into this divisive and, in my view, ultimately not really coherent argument about whether trans women are women, um, um, or whether trans men are men, uh, where that's an ontological statement, right? Um, I just don't think that that's necessary. Uh, to make the full civil rights case for uh, trans people. And I think it has, in fact, become very divisive and has uh, th- threatens to destroy a good part of the civil rights coalition. So that's my, that's, that's, that's my motive. And when I can get into what the arguments are, but that's the point, right, of the essay. Yeah. Okay. No, and I think, you know, the, the, there's a lot there. Um, well, let's start with ontology, oddly enough. Sure, so, however you want, yeah. Yeah, um, so because you kind of, you know, this was prominent in your article, and I think it was part of a little bit of a misunderstanding when we discussed previously. So I believe you went as far as to say that gender is kind of ontologically uh, not very useful. Is that right? Yes. I think sex is ontologically useful. I don't think gender is. Um, I think gender expression and gender presentation are undeniably real. But I don't think that these constitute identities in the ontological sense. Okay. So there's this sort of parallel structure now that's being argued that there's a sex identity and then there's a gender identity. And increasingly, 
the sex identity is being subordinated in the conversation, the public conversation to the gender identity. And we even have a situation now where in certain legal dimensions, people are pushing to replace sex identity with gender identity. Um, I know this is going on in Britain. Um, and actually Kathleen Stock's essay is specifically talking about some of what's happening in Britain. Um, um, and where I gather that some of this stuff is much more advanced uh, um, than where it is in the United States. And so, yes, um, what I want to say is that this dual identity structure of sex identity on the one hand and gender on the other hand um, uh, is probably unsustainable because I don't think gender identity is philosophically sustainable. And I also think it's been very divisive and has, has done damage to the Civil Rights Coalition. Okay. You know, and I, I, I guess this kind of brings up probably the first point of departure, right? Um, because I, when we, in reading your essay, I kind of, when you say sex identity, you're talking biologically. Yeah, so it's chromosomal, chromosomal and um, uh, phenotypic, right? I mean, so it's, you know, sex identity cuts across the, along the binary of the two things that we need to reproduce, right? Sperm and ova, right? right. Um, and then there is a very, very, very minute number of people whose chromosomal and physiognom and, and, and uh, uh, phenotypical are confused or conflated or unidentifiable. Um, and gender activists have tried to actually make this group much larger to sort of try to, to make more difficulty for the gender binary. But I'm persuaded by the literature I've read, and I do have a link to actually a technical paper there, that this is actually uh, a politically motivated conflation and that the actual number of medically credibly identifiable um, uh, intersex is vanishingly tiny. Um, in term, And so it really doesn't affect the fact that as a species – we are a sex binary. That's how we reproduce, right? We're not asexuals. We don't reproduce like, you know, like certain plants or like certain micro. We reproduce by two distinct sexes, each contributing a, a unique, con making a unique contribution that then re results in a person. And that's what I mean by sex identity. And I think to try and deny it exists, in my view, is just bad science. I mean, I've seen gender activists try to deny this and say that sex is a, is a social construct too. And I just think that that's just a lot of nonsense. Um, um, and I don't know any serious biology or biologist or person, you know, who, who actually understands this stuff, who's not politically uh, invested uh, making uh, such a claim. So I, I think sex identity is pretty unproblematic from a, from, from just a basic sort of biological, anthropological, physiological perspective, right? Um, um, and I also think it's important, right? It's important to have sex identity as, a, as, a, as, a, as an actual ontological category because for reasons having to do with things like medical research um, and also for things having to do with the fact that, in my view, women traditionally have been oppressed as a sex, not as a gender. Hmm. Um, and... Um, uh, that discrimination on the basis of gender, I'm not denying that women have suffered that as well, but that the traditional points of oppression were all had to do with women as a sex because they had to do with women as childbearers, right? That's where the, the original um, a, a sort of a, a, a subordinate and oppressive elements centered around um, the distinctive aspects of women that have to do with their childbearing. And so um, I think it's also important to have sex as an ontological category because it speaks to directly to the traditional 
oppressions that women suffered. And thirdly, I think it's important because without um, sexual identity, we can't make any sense of homosexuality. Homosexuals are not homogenderals. They're homosexuals. All right. And this has actually been a point of tremendous tension between the gay community and the trans community, where you actually have trans activists accusing lesbians of being transphobes because they don't want to sleep with people with dicks. Right. Um, and, the, and, and the trans activist argument is, well, trans women are women. So right. why wouldn't a woman want to sleep with another woman if she's a lesbian? You must be a transphobe. And the answer is because I'm not a homogenderal. I'm a homosexual. Right. So I don't think we can make sense of the idea of homosexuality either, unless we have gender, uh, sex identity as an ontological category. Right. But, but, but sort of sexual attraction, I think, sort of sexual attraction orientation, that suggests something a little bit different than your definition of sex, right? Like, well, lesbians are attracted to people with vaginas, not people with penises. Yes, exactly. That, They're that tracks to- perfectly what I, what I just described. Well, Mm, kind of. They're attracted. Yeah, they're attracted. Well, among other things, they're attracted to people with vaginas and not penises. But exactly, they're not necessarily like evaluating partners in terms of their reproductive position. They're not, but they're identifying partners by their by their by their phenotypical and physiognomic. They're not identifying them by their gender expression, right? Uh. At a certain point, that's probably true, yes. I mean, there's lipstick lesbians, there's butch lesbians. It's not gender expression that they're, that, that identifies the homosexual attraction. It's the yeah, general. No, it's physical. <laughs> yeah, but, it, but, it, but the point is, what I'm saying is it's, it's an attraction to the physical characteristics that go with being female. Right. It's not attraction to uh, some sort of... Um, reproductive capacity per se, or at least but not. Those physical me. characteristics are the female reproductive ca- 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 characteristics, right? <laughs> right. But okay. So, so you imagine a lesbian who um, meets somebody, falls in love, blah, 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 blah. Um, if they discover that the woman had a hysterectomy because they had an early uh, episode of cancer and they're not going to, they're not ever going to reproduce, that doesn't, for most people, unless having children is like really important to them, that doesn't change anything in terms of the attraction. No, it doesn't, but that's not a perceptible characteristic. No, that's right. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, look, let's even say, let, let, let's even just grant it. I don't see how it helps the case in arguing that homosexuals are actually homogenderals. Right. Oh yeah. No, that's not my argument. But. Right. So, but I don't see then how it tells against the idea that, you do need sex identity to make basic sense of the idea of homosexuality because sex identity is not just a matter of chromosomes, right? No, that's it, it right. Is, it, is, it is a matter of the entire phenotypical kind of, kind of uh, uh, characteristics that the person has. And yes, you can remove one of them, let's say a womb, which is internal and not even, and not, and not visible. And so isn't going to play into sort of physical attraction. Right. Um, um, right. um but, you, you, you put a penis there instead of a vagina and you're just going to get hundred percent rejection. Right. I mean, from, 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 from homosexuals. Right. I mean, and the same thing with the other way around. Right. I mean, I, now there are of course such thing as bisexuals. Sure. Um, but what the gender activists want to do is they want to really say that homosexuality is really homogenderality, which is why you've get, you've got now trans women claiming to be lesbians. Right. 
Right. And the lesbian community, a lot of them are furious about this. They're like, what on earth are you talking about? And not just that, they fought long and hard, right? I mean, part of this is the part of this that I think that's, that's, that's happening is that a lot of the traditional civil rights groups that fought really hard in much, much worse circumstances than today are watching this now just get all reinterpreted in a way by a movement that, that, um, um, that isn't, isn't satisfied simply with civil rights protections, but now seems to almost want to sort of encroach or sort of co-opt or to use language that people are now using, appropriate the traditional civil rights struggles. And I can understand why a traditional feminist who fought hard for women's colleges or a traditional lesbian activist who fought hard for, 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 for gay rights would be really offended and find really obnoxious the current move to say, oh, well, we're women too. Right, and so we can right. be lesbians, and we can go to women's colleges. What do you? And you're a transphobe if you won't sleep with me, right? I mean, that's what I mean by the divisiveness of this new gender identity activism. It's 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 causing a lot of damage within the civil rights coalition, and I think it's entirely unnecessary. You can argue for complete full civil rights protections for trans people without having to say that they actually are women or that they actually are men. Sure. Although, well, let's just, so, you, you know, you, you raise, so we're talking about activists, right? And, and activists who are sort of, from your perspective, pushing the envelope. No, we're talking far. about the public conversation about this. Obviously, we're not talking about every one of the tens of millions of people in their own private No, lives. no, no. But, but the, the public conversation, from your perspective, is being driven by activists. Well, of course. Isn't it always, for the most yes. part? That, that was, that's where I'm going, because... You know, like in the late '60s, early '70s, or even earlier, like you could you could find lots of radical feminists who said lots of things that 98% of the population thought were really inflammatory and insulting and depraved. Even um, that that was just sort of part of what happened. And then the question is how much that defines the conversation, rather than just sort of perhaps shifts an Overton window or something. Well, but the current activism that we're talking about is making significant inroads into the law, into legislation, right? And into, and into the, and into the, I mean, like I said, I mean, there's actually talk now of replacing sex with gender, um, in the law and all sorts of categories of the law, which is going to completely transform the sort of the civil rights dynamics and the civil rights orientations, right? And, and this is part of the reason why, you know, gay, gays and lesbians are alarmed. Right, as well as traditional feminists are alarmed. Um, um, one of the things that Kathleen Stock talks about in her essay is, well, wait a minute, we now have laws in place that are designed to make sure that we have female representation in various institutions. Right? Right. Are we now going to say that those laws are now satisfied by trans by, by by people who have been women for five minutes? Right. Um, 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 because they identify as women? Are we now going to say that now I've, I've met my affirmative action goals for women? Right. In other words, this has real consequence. This isn't just people playing at something, right? Or just declaring something and saying, you, you have to agree with me or I'm going to call you mean names. This is now crossing over into law, right? And I can understand why gay act, why gay activists and feminists are, are concerned about this, right? They're watching the civil protections that they fought hard for being transformed into something that it's not clear is going to have the same valence, right? 
Right. So you you so one dystopic future you might imagine is one in which all of these sort of set asides for women are occupied by men who are calling themselves women or something like that. I no, I look, I, I'm not predicting anything dystopic. I, I try to eschew any sort of uh, apocalyptic scenarios because I know okay, but true. I do. I think I would stand on what I said. I can understand why traditional feminists would be concerned about replacing sex with gender as it's currently understood in the law. Right. Um, because now you're going to have to, you're going to be able to say, well, I should be able to uh, uh, enter an institution under, under an affirmative action law for women. If I identify with the women, even if I've only done so for a week. Right. And even if, even if, I mean, they're now the way gender identity is described now, you have people identifying women who, as women who are walking around and, and, you know, they've got full beards and, and, and hairy chests and have not, have engaged in no sort of transition whatsoever. Right. Right. Um, um, and look, the point, these are obviously stunts for the most part, but the point is precisely to hammer home that gender and sex are completely, uh, separately variable. And that gender is now should be our focus and not sex. And I just, all I'm saying is I understand why a traditional feminist who fought really hard and at great risk to get these laws passed is now saying, well, wait a minute, what the hell's going on? Right. Um, and I also understand, and the same with the gays and lesbian activists. Um, um, I understand that as well. And again, I, I just don't think it's necessary at all. Um, um, it seems to me, we can, through the traditional understanding of the civil of civil rights, add trans people to it without having to go this extra step. Um, and and you know we haven't even addressed the issue yet. Why I actually don't think gender identity is even philosophically coherent. I don't think it can be defended right as as a, as, a, as an ontological matter, um, um, because of the way that gender works. Um, it's too inchoate. It's too it's too overlapping. It's too. You, this is why depending on where you look, the number of genders wildly varies. So, you know, in the New York civil rights law, there are 51 genders. According to Facebook, there's 76. But actually, if you think about the way gender identity works, there are indefinitely many genders. No, that's that's ontologically problematic, right? That's ontologically problematic. Um, um, uh, That's not how ontological categorization works. And, um, um, you know, if we want to get into the technical side of it, I'm not sure we do. Um, um, the, the philosopher Willard Quine explained why the sort of ontological profligacy that you get with that sort of thing um, is, is incoherent. I mean, it ultimately gets you, you know, in, in, in order, in order to, for an ontology to be sound, I need to at least be able to do things like tell you how many of something there is, right? Right. Um, and you can't with gender identity because if you look at the definitions, right? Yeah, they just all have to do with minute distinctions of presentation and expression and stuff like that that vary all over the place. No, you, you've got a you've got a, you've got a, a variety of continua probably on a bunch of different dimensions, and you're trying to put them right. in categories. I mean, I guess a very rough analogy would be something like tall or short as ontological categories. Right, they're not. Right there, but they they do mean they mean something. But it means that the tall people don't constitute an ontological category, right? Right. Um, um, you know, part of the issue is that 
the way that gender identity is defined in terms of gender. In other words, gender identity is entirely articulated in terms of expression and presentation. Um, right. And that to me is at the root of its problem. You know, maybe we want to talk a little bit of expression and, and, and uh, presentation. And also just where the whole idea of gender comes from. I mean, one of the things I also argue that traditional feminists have pointed out is that there's actually something really regressive about gender identity, that it actually really does nothing more than fulfill the old traditional gender stereotypes about women um, and enshrine them into an ontological category in a way that, that feminists have been fighting now for 50 years, right? Um, right. um, um, and so there is something really ironic about people who are supposedly part of a progressive movement who are, whose conception of identity is dependent entirely on patriarchal and, and traditionally misogynistic conceptions of, uh, of women's identity because of the gender expression and presentation that was assigned to women and that was used to subordinate. So- Okay, but here's a here's a question I had about that, which just occurred to me, I think, while we were talking. So, so yes, so, um, and I think in your article, you either referenced or you talked directly about Caitlyn Jenner um, coming, kind of coming out as a trans woman, um, wearing makeup and slacks and whatnot. Um, Actually, in a, on the cover of Vanity Fair, in a corset. Oh, in wow. a very, in a very come hither, come fetch me sort of pose, almost looking sure. like a 1940s movie star. And a lot of women, a lot of feminists were like, wait a minute, I thought that this is exactly what we were saying doesn't make you a woman for the last 50 years. And now we're being told this is what makes you a woman. Even if you've got a big fat dick in between your legs, you put Which on I all this stuff, you put on all this stuff and, and say, I identify. And even if you feel it, that makes you a woman. And, that's what feminists for the last 50, 100 years have been fighting against, right? Is identifying woman, what it is to be a woman with these gender uh, tropes that right. are part of the traditional patriarchal oppression of women, right? But, but isn't there something sort of buying into a patriarchal oppression of women perspective to define women in terms of their reproductive capacities? No, because that really is what distinguishes men from women. What, 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 what makes it into a patriarchal oppression is if you then assign subordinate gender roles to those differences, right? In other words, it's because of women's role in separate sexual reproduction, right? That men assigned to women a set of gendered roles and presentations and, and norms and affects, right? That then, we're deemed subordinate, right? I mean, this is the whole point. I mean, I cite in the essay this wonderful um, relic now of the 70s by Marlo Thomas called Free to Be You and Me, um, which was a, a really powerful expression of traditional feminist uh, 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 opposition to patriarchy um, that was designed to explain these things in a way accessible to children. And so what it is, is basically it's a record. It's an album. Yeah, yeah. It consists of a bunch of songs and skits, etc. And you look at it and all of it is about the way in which we've assigned to men and women different gender roles. Yes. And we've deemed the female, the women's inferior to the men's and that, Right. There's no, you know, and so there's this wonderful stuff that one, the one I quoted, um, 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 uh, my dog is a plumber, right. Or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And, um, it's all about this, how, you know, we predict that, um, 
the dog must be a boy because he's a plumber. And then, and then he says, yeah, but he's terrible at throwing a baseball. So he must be a girl. And then at the conclusion is maybe these things aren't what make you a boy or a girl. Right. Right. Maybe boys, boys can be, can, can like uh, playing with model uh, uh, kitchens and girls can like playing uh, with baseballs. And that's because what makes you a girl is the fact that you're a female, not that you wear dresses or talk in a sweet voice or like soap operas, right? And that's exactly what the gender identity of people are now saying makes you a woman, right? Is that you've adopted all of these gendered tropes that are just a, a, a manifestation of the very traditional assignments that feminists have been fighting against now for at least 50 years. And I, that's why I find it incredibly regressive. And a lot of the traditional feminists to do too. This is not an argument I invented. No, no, no. I know that. Um, um, this is an, something that the traditional feminists have been pointing out about the trans movement is that in some ways it's tremendously regressive in the way it defines men and women in the gendered sense rather than the sex sense. How much of that in, in, in terms of the average, maybe this average typical, whatever, there's probably not a good word for this. How much of this sort of gender presentation um, that's kind of getting attributed to sort of buying into sort of gendered stereotypes that trans people do, how much of that do you think is actually, I believe this is what makes me a woman versus um, this is how I let other people know? Is that it? Yeah, right, right, right. So the idea is, no, you, look, you're, I, I understand entirely. And so this is something that, this is something that I have to do, right? I mean, this is sort of work I have to do. And so I, I phrased it very carefully in the essay. And I said, gender identity is entirely articulated by way of expression and presentation. Now, you then come back and say, well, wait a minute. Their gender identity stems from the fact that they feel themselves to be a woman. Yes. This is simply the way they communicate it to the outside world um, because it's been traditionally, um, um, this is how it's traditionally expressed. This is how people are most commonly going to get it, right? This, though, then raises another issue of mine that I've, that I've actually wrote, written about in a different essay called Self Made. Mm. Um, and that is that I don't believe that something like gender identity is, can simply be determined by oneself. Sure. You can't have it both ways. You can't have something say that something is a social construct and then say, I get to declare it by fiat. And by the way, if you don't accept it, I'm going to use the law to go after you to force you to, right? Um, um, if something is a social construct, that means it's a matter of social negotiation. And so I don't think you can simply declare yourself a woman and thereby be one. And I don't, you know, how you feel is irrelevant. Um, I might feel like I'm a great novelist. That doesn't make me one, right? Um, um, the fact that you've now, the only non-socially constructed part is if you actually are a woman in the sense that you are actually female. Now that's not socially negotiated, but that's because it's not socially constructed, right? Right. But gender is socially constructed. Everybody agrees on that. And so you can't just declare yourself a woman and thereby make it so. And you can't just sincerely feel your way into an identity, no matter how hard you feel it. Because if gender is a social construct, then your identity in that regard is only partly determined by you. It's also partly determined by others. Um, it's a matter for social negotiation. And so I just don't buy this idea 
that you can just declare yourself into a gender identity um, such that then all you're doing with the expression and the presentation is articulated. In my view, really what's happening is the presentation and the artic- and the expression are actually prior to the identification, right? Um, there's a very strong – look – in the old days, you know, Andrew Sullivan and others have pointed out, in the old days, these, these, these people would have been very, in very different categories, right? I mean, a lot of these people might have turned out gay. A lot of these people might have just turned out to be um, uh, 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 transvestites. A lot of people – I almost think that, in a sense, the movement has kind of created itself as it's sort of gone along, right? Um, actually, when I first posted the essay, I changed the banner image – uh, to one of Duran Duran from 1981. And if you know what they look like, they were all yeah. made up with makeup. And, and I, yeah. I thought I put it up on purpose because today we'd call those people trans, right? And they were not trans, right? I mean, if, if today people who dressed like that often would be identified as trans. And you, a lot of people you see in the trans community activists take on that kind of look, right? And, you know, this is why I really think that the way to go with this is to just very forcibly and strongly and consistently insist upon the civil liberties of people to express and present in the ways that they want. And once you do that, you've done it all, right? In terms of the actual civil rights of people, you've done it all, right? You can dress however the hell you want. You can present however the hell you want, and that should be protected legally, right? Um, um, not obviously in ways that harm other people. I mean, I'm yeah. within, within the harm principle. Yeah. Um, but but so but, it only becomes a mess when you start saying well, these are women, these are men, right? That's when the only time it becomes a mess. It's the only time the hostility starts. It's the only time that you now have members of the same civil rights coalition now going at each other and accusing each other of being transphobes and TERFs and all this kind of stuff, if you just drop that and said, let's all be in a civil rights coalition together, right? right. Um, and we don't, have to, we don't have to invade each other's civil rights territory in order for us all to sort of argue for each other's civil rights, right? So I just think it's unnecessary. Um, I guess- not to mention confused, in my view, incoherent, um, but unnecessary. Sure. And I'm, you know, I guess for me, there's a, you know, and I think we talked about this the last time, there's a big difference between <clears throat> somebody who puts on makeup and a dress and somebody who has genital surgery. Those are very different things. Well, yeah, of course. But, but so what? So what if they're different? Does that mean that I have to have a concept of gender identity in order to explain or make sense of how different those are? I think what it means is that... Why do I need that? I'm not arguing for gender identity per se. I'm saying I'm arguing from the perspective of you could think of that person as a woman. Okay, let me back up. In kind of a, a world in which gender expression is completely free, which is what you're, you're arguing for, right? Yes, I'm saying that's a natural extension of the traditional civil rights concept, yes. Yes. In that world would be different from our world in a variety of ways. Very different, yeah. Very and different. Better, in my view. 
And well, I probably I think I agree. We wouldn't but, abuse trans people in that world, right? No, I mean, you wouldn't. Right? But here's why you wouldn't abuse trans people. You wouldn't know who was trans. Well, you would in some cases. You wouldn't others, right? I mean, you, you you. It's hard to say what what the world would look like. You know, I know lots of. You know, I had an ex who had like little patches of facial hair. Like that was just the way they, genetics worked for her. But you know. For somebody to say, excuse me, you know, like, it's just, in this kind of world, like, unless you're checking people's genitals or asking for their DNA, it becomes, it becomes, you can imagine a world in which there are, their kind of gender expression is completely free, in which, for a lot of people, it's very difficult to make assumptions about what sex somebody is without right. just asking. And it, it often doesn't matter, right? I mean, you know, yeah, that's yeah. right. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. But so, like the bathroom, the bathroom thing, right? The so, bathroom I mean, thing. Right. Oh, my God. So, well, we see, we agree on, I think we agree on that. So, look, I mean, I wrote another essay about this <laughs> where I basically took the trans side of the argument and I said, look, you know, a bathroom is a place in which your engagement with other people is tremendously superficial. You don't get past the initial surface appearance. And so my, 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 um, uh, uh, suggestion for a bathroom policy is you should go in whatever bathroom you superficially most resemble, right? Because sure. that's all anybody's going to see of you. That's all anybody's going to see. But I don't see why that requires me to have any notion of gender identity. I'm not sure it does, but I think if, if you're just letting people go to the bathroom that fits their whatever, then... The presentation, the way they appear to everybody else, because that's the only people who care are the other people in the bathroom, right? Right, and quite uh, frankly, they don't care that much, or they shouldn't. You know what I mean? Like, I think it would be very disruptive if a person with a beard, dressed in men's clothes, with no breasts, walked into a ladies' room. Sure. And I think it would be very... Dis- even if it was biologically a woman... And I think this is why I think that the conservative argument on the on the bathrooms is just the stupidest thing I ever heard in the world, right? Because they'd be the first ones to scream bloody murder. Oh yeah, no. If and someone I, like I, that walked into a, and if the person said, "Well, you know, I've got a vagina," they conservatives wouldn't be any happier about it, right? I mean, no. and so that whole thing just struck me as an argument that that was just a gratuitous example of conservatives just wanting to hurt trans people, right? I mean, no, and I think you know, and I I sent yeah. you the other example that came to yeah. my mind about this uh, young. Uh, woman young man who yeah a trans man who wanted to wrestle as a man in high school and was forced because their birth certificates said female to wrestle as a female and then people were complaining right yeah and then people were complaining that this this very sort of muscular masculine looking person was winning all the wrestling matches right well that's what they asked for yeah yeah i guess what i'm saying though is if somebody, especially for people who've gone through the surgery, and I feel like I'm not sure, you know, and I'm probably not the person, but I feel like there's something, it feels more fundamental to me, somebody's, that somebody would do that than just, you know, put on pantyhose or whatever. Um, I think certainly, I think for, actually, I think in terms of the current law, on those documents in which, the denotation is sex and not gender. The only way to get that change is to actually go through a sex change operation. Yes, right? I think that's true. Um, um, but what's being proposed now, and look, and we could debate about that, and I'm not sure I, I'd want to really sort of plant a flag and make a big stand on that. We're all, again, talking about a vanishingly small number of people. Um, 
Um, the number of actual transsexuals is very small. I, um, um, I, but what's being proposed is not that. I mean, that's already the case. What's being proposed now is that we should get rid of all sex identifications on, on public and legal documents and replace them with gender identifications. And that's where I kind of balk, right? Um, because that now gets you into the sort of territory I was talking about at the beginning where I think that the traditional feminist and gay lesbian activists have a real point of concern, right? Um, because now all that has to, all it's just simply enough to present or express. And now it, in my view, it'll screw up a whole bunch. I, I think we really ought to think really hard before doing this. I mean, Britain seems to be sort of hurtling toward doing this. I think it, 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 this is one of the, the mother of unintended consequences is going to come out of this sort of thing. Um, um, but I think is a, a really a bad mistake. So I don't know that I want to sort of stand, make some stand on the question of, of full blown, uh, 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 sex chain surgery, transsexuals, because that's really not where the action of the argument is happening right now. The action of the argument now is happening really in the area of gender identification, trans. And um, um, the sex change is actually type of transsexual is receded into the background in terms of the public discussion. That's interesting to me because I've... It, it's much more gender neutral and gender queer and that stuff that's now dominating the discussion and less the tradition. They've even almost dropped the word transsexual um, right. um, precisely because it's, it's this constant annoying reminder that, oh, yeah, you know, there is sex there. It's not just gender. It's not just what everybody says and how everybody dresses and everybody looks and everybody identifies. There are actual physical underlying realities, right? They don't want anything to do with that. And so... I don't think it's an accident that the sort of the trends go stand over there. Right. You're right. making this more difficult. Right. We want to talk about gender. And, um, um, uh, so I don't want to really make a stand on transsexuals, um, um, actual literal surgical transsexuals, because I think that that's not really where the fight is happening right now. And it's, it's interesting because I feel like people. part of, part of our, um, part of where we're, di- where, where, where we've, I think had disagreements is precisely around that. And I think, and it may be partly about where we think the fight is. I don't know how much of this you, how much of this conversation, like you're, 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 you're watching, but I've been consuming quite a lot of this conversation. It's happening across. It's happening in philosophy. It's happening uh, on YouTube. It's happening everywhere, right? And in mainstream publications, it's happening on television. And what I'm seeing more and more is that, this is not an argument about whether a post-op male to female transsexual is a woman. This is an argument about whether someone who identifies as a woman is a woman, where that can mean a thousand different things, only one of which is a post-op male to female transsexual. And that, and by far the smallest number, right? A lot. I mean, it's now much less common uh, 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 for uh, trans people to go ahead and have the full blown surgeries um, um, and, um, and the most prominent voices now that are ma- making these cases, uh, have not had the surgeries. Um, and I look, I, I don't actually think you, I, that's why I think that this is also just so unnecessary. It's like, I don't think anybody needs to have any surgeries if they don't want to. If we just protected people's expression. Right. 
Why can't we do that? Why do we have to say that they are women and create a new ontological category and now say we have to admit to do this and do that and the other and you better sleep with us or else you're a transphobe and all this sort of thing? Why do we need all of that? Why don't we just say you should be able to dress any way you want and act any way you want and present any way you want and as long as you're not harming anybody, you deserve the full protection of the law and we're going to make strong arguments in the culture that you should be tolerated as a moral matter, Right. Right. Why is that not sufficient? Why do we now have to also say, and they're women, right? And they're actually men. And thus start inviting this whole conversation that, that now starts attacking the very notion of sex identity um, um, and seeks to replace it with gender identity, which, which I think it's just obviously not a good replacement. And um, it's going to change our statistics. It's going to change our social uh, accumulation of social science data. It's going to affect so many things that I think people just haven't thought through, right? Um, I think it is really still important that we track all sorts of data having to do with males and females as biological, binary, sexual categories, and that replacing sex with gender is going to make a lot of problems, is going to create a lot of problems beyond this breaking up the Civil Rights Coalition, which I think it's doing right now. Uh, I think it's going to cause problems that we're then going to say, oh, my God, why the hell did we do that, right? I mean, I mean, um, um, you know, look, I'll give you an example, right? Um, you know, there's a reason to keep statistics of certain kinds, medical and others on, let's say, um, uh, uh, American blacks versus American whites, right? Yeah. It doesn't mean we have to say that race is an actual identity is an actual ontological category. Right? Because it isn't. Um, um, it's, 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 it's 80% bullshit racist history in science, right? Um, um, but nonetheless, there is, there is a value to sort of tracking certain, because there's certain diseases that sort of track these populations, not because there, there's such a thing as the black race. Right. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. Well, and again, I think part of this is that there is, there is some validity to the construct as, kind of a proxy for some kind of social history or, you know, shared experience, especially for the minority groups, right, that do have a coherent shared experience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think the notion of African-American is a much more coherent one than white American, right? Like, Absolutely. You know. Absolutely, because white American is this way too broad and expansive. It's, it's like it's like a, it doesn't ensure any kind of shared experience, right? No, exactly, um, um, exactly. Um, and in fact, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. But look, I mean, if we want to talk now about experience, I mean, that's another that's that's again a part of the feminist critique. It's like, look, trans people undoubtedly suffer all sorts of oppression. Sure, much of it quite vicious and violent, but they it's not the same oppression. <laughs> That women have suffered, right? And there's almost this sort of, and this is this sort of, this intersectionality, I think. I actually think this is, you know, I'm probably going to write another essay about why I think intersectionality is destroying the civil rights movement, right? Um, there's almost this need now to say, unless we can all empathize, we can't sympathize with each other, right? And I mean, it seems to me that we, the traditional notion of civil rights was precisely that I could sympathize with your plight, even though I, I had nothing, it has nothing to do with me and I can't, can't even imagine what it's like to experience it. And now it's almost like we want to say, 
we all have to be, have the sort of same shared experience of oppression or else we can't be in a civil rights coalition together. And so we better say that trans women are women so that they can then be a part of the feminist movement because otherwise, you know, if we don't have all this, I don't understand why feminists and trans people and blacks and Jews can't all be in a civil rights coalition without having anything in common other than the fact that they sympathize with each other and as oppressed people themselves right. are inclined to, to, to help other oppressed people. I don't see why we have to start. Right. I, I mean, it, it's almost, it's, it, 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 and I think in doing so, actually you wind up disrupting the and capacity I, for coalition, right. For, for, for civil rights, political coalition. I mean, what you're describing sounds like the opposite of intersectionality as I understand it historically. Right. Like, I mean, if you think about people like Audrey Lord or somebody like that, like the whole notion was that, say, for example, black women shouldn't have to subordinate um, their their kind of claims in terms of gender discrimination for the uh, sake of sort of African-American liberation or whatever, right? Like, that was the whole point, was that, right. that in fact, we have these other concerns that you don't have, but we're all in this together in some senses. But, it's not, but think about how divisive it is within the feminist. It's a great example. You now have you now have traditional and, and they tend to be older, right? Right. Um, white feminist women who are being attacked almost like you'd think feminists would attack a trumper, right? Um, because from the perspective of um, uh, being insufficiently uh, con- uh, um, um, uh, you know concerned with the plight of bl- black women, in other words, it's being used to sort of say that sexism. And racism intersect in a way to produce a unique kind of oppression that black women experience that now means that their relationship with white uh, feminists um, in a coalition is now problematic and a source of hostility. Um, 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 uh, and I mean, I, you can you go on YouTube, you can watch videos of these people oh, you know, I can, yeah, yeah. at speakers, right? Um, um, and, and, in other words, I, look, whatever intersectionality was intended to do, it seems to me what it's done is result in a kind of atomization of the civil rights community because of a mistaken notion that unless you exactly share my experience, you can't have sympathy for my plight. And my whole point was that sympathy is a superior virtue to empathy. Oh, yeah. It's precisely no, the capacity to care about somebody that you don't share anything with, right? Right, um, and that sharing something with you shouldn't be a predicate for my caring about what the hell happens to you. And so I've seen, I see intersectionality as having, as having actually divided the civil rights community, not not uniting it. Right, and it's not an accident. It seems to me that it's it's much more prevalent amongst the younger generations of activists rather than the older ones, because I'm finding more and more that millennials, my students, are incapable of forming coalitions with people that they substantially disagree with or, sh- or don't share things with. In other words, they're unable to form a coalition simply on the grounds of sympathy for the other person. It's, it's, we all have to identify with the same things or else you're actually a villain of, you're actually a villain. Right. Um, and I, I think that, I think that this, this it has to do with the broader thing that's happening, a kind of a balkanization along identity lines that are increasingly at a, are increasingly fine grained 
in a way that I think is actually um, um, very bad uh, for the Civil Rights uh, Coalition. Um, you know, when you look at the photos of Martin Luther King marching arm in arm with Abraham Heschel, a, a Jewish theologian, um, um, they both came from oppressed backgrounds, but yeah. very little shared experience and um, very diff- very little shared uh, oppression, very different kinds of oppression, um, universes apart, you know, by the time that the civil rights march was happening, the Jews were not in any serious jeopardy in this country. Um, and nonetheless, they marched arm in arm. Why? Because of sympathy alone, right? Um, not because of empathy, not because we have share a common experience, not because I identify with you, but because you're a human yeah, yeah. being and I care about you um, 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 as a human being. I care about your suffering because you are suffering, not because I understand it or experience it myself. And sure. that seems to me something that people are less and less capable of doing um, the younger you get. And um, I, I, I think it's bad um, um, and uh, uh, should be fought. Um, and so I see that playing into this also. I mean, it's just, you know, I, I don't see why trans activists and feminists can't be in a, in a perfectly comfortable coalition with each other. And all I see them now is I see them now as, you know, knifing each other. And yeah, that's you, really, that's really what led me to this. It was, it was, was one thing was the conversation with Sargent, but the other thing was what's yeah. increasingly disturbing to me to watch gays and lesbians and feminists and trans activists fighting against each other in an increasingly vicious sort of way. When I'm find myself, I'm none of those things. And yet I find myself sympathetic to all of their civil rights. Right. Concerns. But you I think they should all be considered or respected. Right. Um, and why, why are they fighting? So I said, why are they fighting? And then I started digging into this. Oh, they're fighting because of this damn gender identity stuff, right? And if you just got rid of it, they'd stop fighting and you'd still have everything, right? You'd still have, you can have your cake and eat it too in this case, right? Um, do, you know, do you disagree with, I mean, I'm not sure how much we disagree or whether. Well, no, I think, uh, you know, I think, you know, if you're bracketing, uh, people who are post-op, you know, that was a lot of the initial disagreement I had because that felt to me like something very different than the superficial thing, the more superficial things you were talking about. Although I would say, you know, and I probably need to look more at the debates, it, it seems like you have a clear villain in these de- in the debates between trans-exclusionary radical feminists or whatever more positive thing you want to say and trans people. From your perspective, the trans people are being unreasonable and are kind of shouting down these sort of... Yeah, I don't want to say... I, I, I would resist putting it that way. And if it comes across that way, it's my fault and I apologize for it. I think the villains... And I don't even like the word villains. I think it's right. an honest mistake. Okay? I, I'm not villainizing people. I think this is an honest mistake. And as I say in the essay, this is freaking difficult. This is really complicated. Yeah. Right? And it involves a lot of subtleties. Um, um, and I'm not in any way making, I mean, don't, don't mistake my energetic present manner with certitude. Okay. No, no. Uh, um, I identify, the problem I think is gender identity activists. And I, they're not all trans people. For God's yeah. sake, in philosophy, we just had this, this absolute scandal with a young scholar named Rebecca Tuvel who published an essay in the most prominent feminist journal, Hypatia, 
trying to make an analogy between transgenderism and transracialism. Racism, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Rachel Dolezal. Uh, yeah. The progressive community within philosophy, 99% of whom are not trans people, yeah. savaged this woman, went after her personally, demanded that the essay be retracted, trashed her reputation, and it was made all the more obscene by the fact that she's a junior faculty member. And a lot of these people going after her are very prominent people in the profession. Right. Who can do real harm to her career, right? Thank God there was a strong backlash against this, but I'm not seeing uh, much evidence that my, my increasingly profession I'm increasingly ashamed to be associated with has, has, has learned anything from this. Um, so no, the, the people I think are making the mistake that's causing all this trouble are gender identity activists and they are not all trans. They're mostly not trans people. I suspect most trans people don't care whether you, whether, you, whether you say they're a woman or not, right? In other words, I think most trans people just want to go get on with it, right? I mean, get on with their business. Well, you know, um, and this is, this is something that, you, that um, I was thinking about earlier, like, um, and I've mentioned Dorothy McCluskey in the past, Deidre McCluskey. Yeah, the thing you sent me, I read that. I mean, I, 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 I don't see almost anything to disagree with there, but I right. – you know what I was going to say was, and I think this is something that also I think is kind of sad about the way things have gone. Right, is that here is somebody with a very unique set of experiences. We'll link to that also, by the way, because yeah, people, I think we should, so people will know what we're talking and, about. Yeah, and she, you know, I, I've I've met her and I've talked with her, and you know, I know her a little bit. She's a very, a really wonderful person. But what I was going to say was. Here is somebody who has, and in with whatever provisios you want to add, obviously substantial experience living as a man, and then substantial experience living for all intents and purposes as a woman. And if you don't know the background, she just seems like an elderly woman, right? Um, she can. She's in her book, especially. She kind of talks about how a lot of the experiences the way that people react to her that she's noticed it's kind of made her more aware of the more traditional sex discrimination that you're concerned with. Right. That this is kind of a very sort of, it's not like it's, it's just, it has potential to, I think be, be useful for a lot of coalition building if kind of treated the right way. Yeah. Yeah. Look, any, any trans woman, who's very quote unquote passable is going to get yeah. traditional sex discrimination against them. Right. Cause like you said, people don't look under your pants to see what the hell's in there. Right. But when they, you know, they go on the basis of your expression and your presentation. Yeah. Um, but I didn't get the sense from reading that. No, then that was just an excerpt. There's anything there that insists upon gender identity being ontological in the way that I'm talking about. No. Um, and, 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 or, indicating that we should replace sex identification in all sorts of public and legal context with gender identification. I didn't get that either from the end. No, no, no. And I, that wasn't, yeah. that wasn't the yeah. point. I was just, that's really all I'm arguing against. I'm really not okay. arguing against people's, I mean, I'm arguing for people's presentation and expression. What I'm saying is right. don't turn that into something other than it is right. 
Um, um, and by the way, I don't even like the word trivial or superficial. So you distinguish, you know, between transsexuals, your post-op transsexuals and, and, and what I'm, the more trans identifying as a, as a matter of superficiality versus, I don't think there's anything superficial about people's expression and presentation. I mean, I think it's very important. I'm not accusing you of that. I want to make sure that people understand I'm not, um, trivializing it. I think how people present and express is, is one of the main things that needs to be protected in a liberal society. Yeah. You know, right? and I think, and I think what we agree on is that if in this kind of ideal world in which there is much more freedom in that domain than there is now, it's hard to predict how things shake out, right? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. 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 I mean, it may be that a lot of people that are homosexual or straight for that matter, are actually kind of making do with if they had a partner who had a particular, you know, if a partner was available to them who had a particular gender expression, who knows what they'd be attracted to in a world without as many constraints as they have. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, absolutely. Look, I think that if we really were serious about civil rights protections around gender expression and presentation, I think the whole landscape would look different. I'm not sure we can even predict how it would look. Yeah, um, no, but I'm pretty confident that it would look better in every, almost every regard other than for, you know, reactionaries, right? I mean, who, 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 in my view, you know, we're not, are not, are not people I'm talking with because they're sort of, you know, hopeless. I'm not trying right. to con- really convince them. I'm really trying to have a conversation within the liberal consensus and, um, you know, and I, I, I for think- a long time, you know, from the, my blogging heads, I'm, you've been around so long. We've talked so much there. You know, I'm very concerned about the progressive movement within the larger liberal coalition. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's been good for it. I think it's what lost us. The, I think it's what cost us what would have been a natural majority. I think it's been politically hurt us. I think it's caused us to fracture internally. I think it's caused us to push people who should be natural allies into the other political camp. I mean, I just think it's been really damaging. Um, and, um, um, and so I really kind of this is part of a more general effort on my part yeah. to reassert the liberal within the liberal coalition, right? Um, um, well, and maybe you know the thing with tra- the, the, the gender identity. I'm thinking about it more and more. It really is a part and parcel of what I don't like about the progressive movement within. I think we have enough identities already. At this point now, the work that needs to be done is civil protections for people's liberties, which means their speech their presentation, their actions, the way they present themselves. In other words, the traditional John Stuart Mill, right? We have enough. And so I don't think identity politics has been helpful. I think it's actually hurt us in terms of those uh, liberal, those advancements of of liberal uh, uh, civil liberties. I think it's actually hurt us. It's gotten us fighting about things that we don't need to be fighting about. And it's actually, I think, given the, the, the reactionaries all kinds of ammunition that we don't need to be giving them, right? Um, 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 because, frankly, we look ridiculous. We look fractured. We look, you know, there's just a huge portion of the population that's simply never going to go with this. In this gender, being. This gender identity stuff. And so it actually is retarding our ability to make the the civil rights car, the case, the civil liberties case, Right. You know, I do think, I guess it depends, right? Like, I mean, I think there's, I think we can be inclusive and still be appealing to a lot of people, right? 
Yes, but I think that that insisting on these as ontological identities is actually hindering that, not helping it. Right. So I'm not going to convince some guy in southern rural Missouri that a trans woman is a woman. But I may be able to convince him to leave people alone if they're not hurting anyone. Right. And the problem is the conversation is now being so drowned out by that first conversation that it's much harder to have the second one. Right? It's true. Although I will say that I think, you know, that what you're describing seems like politically not a very useful, I agree with you. It's not a politically very useful argument. On the other hand, getting in somebody's face and saying, no, 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 I'm not going to call you she or ma'am seems like equally, at least equally unproductive. Yeah, but I don't know that I haven't argued for that, have I? No, I don't think you have, but I, mean, I think look, I'm I'm not talking about casual discourse. I'm not talking about, you know. Yeah. I, I absolutely would think that that in a normal uh social environment, right, where someone is presenting and expressing as a woman and 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 functions that way socially in their circles, they're going to get referred to as she and whatever, right? Yeah. Um I'm talking about this argument that's happening at the activist level and the intellectual level, because it's happening in philosophy yeah. too, um, about ontological ontologizing of gender. Um, and look, it even does get into the stuff about the pronouns and stuff, because now if there's 57 of them, the language becomes impossible, right? Oh yeah. No. And, and I you not, get fights yeah. like the ones with Jordan Peterson in Canada and all this sort of stuff. You think Jordan Peterson is talking about whether he should call it a, 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 a presenting trans female as she, he's talking about having to use all sorts of invented words, right? Z and Zer and, 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 and whatever. Right. I mean, in other words, I think that, the identity, the, the the hardening of the, the ontologizing of the gender is now making the civil rights argument much more difficult to have, right? And it's introducing into it sort of absurdities that are making it harder. Uh, we can't have, we're not going to have 57 pronouns ever, right? We're not going to have 70 pronouns ever. It's just not going to happen. And the harder you hit it, the more, the harder the backlash is going to get back, and we're not. Then we're not having the conversation about leaving the people the fuck alone when they're not hurting anybody. Right? No, and I and I think getting back to your ideal, you know, both of our a world that's probably close to ideal for both of us. In that world, there might be fewer pronouns, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's no particular, there's no particular reason. <laughs> You know, like any of this has to necessarily, you know, like right. if, you know, the person who's doing your, uh, taking your blood pressure, it really doesn't matter whether, you know, you say sir or ma'am to them, you could, you know, like it just, yeah. Hey, you. Yeah. 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 Um, but, but, you know, you're not going to have somebody in a gynecologist's office who you call she, who's got a dick, right? Not going to happen. Uh, under most circumstances, probably not. <laughs> I mean, there's this, there's an element of kind of absurdism to me in the in the gender identity movement that has been partly what all these miserable reactionaries have jumped on in a kind of opportunistic way to kind of gleefully dance on 
the circular firing squad that we in the civil rights coalition are engaging in. Right. And right. I just don't see any reason to give them that sort of ammunition. Um, um, and I just, I think when I see trans activists and lesbians and feminists knifing each other, I think that's a, tr- a catastrophe. Yeah. Um, and um, I don't think it's necessary. And I do blame it on gender identity, uh, the, the identi- gender identity and then the activism around it. And I'm not sure whether you disagree or not. I'm, um, A, whether you, let me ask you now, let's turn this around. Okay. Do you think that gender identity is ontological? And number one, number two, um, do you think this is really the important part of the conversation? So I don't, so, and again, this is my bias. Of course it is. Experience. Yeah, of course. It yeah, all yeah. is, right? I mean, yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. This is not a scientific question. No, what I'm, what I'm saying is, and, I, and I, I think part of it is I have a very different experience of academia than you do. Outside of it, this doesn't come up that much. It really doesn't. I mean, I know, you know, I know several trans people, and for the most part, they just want to live their lives. But doesn't this come up in academia? It does also come up in activist politics quite a lot. Yeah, no, that's that. It does come up in activist politics. Although I do think it comes up less than the cover. It when it comes up, it gets disproportionate coverage. I agree with that. That the coverage is ma- is ma- megaphone like. And I think um, the coverage sometimes is partly defined. And you're you're thinking about the reactionaries. I think sometimes the debate gets framed by the reactionaries before anything actually happens. The, could you give a concrete, because I could, so the reason I mentioned the Rebecca Tuvel case was that's an example of where it was the opposite. In other words, there was a fight within the liberal community first. Right. Then okay, the conservatives well, found it yeah, and ran okay. off with, look at these ridiculous academics, blah, 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 blah. Sure. Look at these ridiculous liberals. Blah, okay. Blah. Could you give me an example of where it's the other way around where we're allowing ourselves to be led around by the, cons- the reactionaries? Okay. And you may disagree with my characterization, but this is my perspective. Okay. Yeah, so, like, so I'm originally Canadian. I maintain a lot of contact with a lot of, like all of my family and a lot of my friends are in Canada. I visit very often. I'm still, that's my passport. That's, you know, that's where I'm from. The Jordan Peterson notion that like there's this rampant drive to force people to say Z and Zer and Zen or whatever. That, I've only heard of that through Jordan Peterson. Well, the, you did. I don't know if you watched. Did you watch the Canadian Senate hearings on Bill C-16? Because they were televised. I did not watch those. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it, it, it's like an American Senate committee hearing. Sure, right? Sure, I mean, sure. they, had, they, had, they brought in wit, expert witnesses. Um, and Peterson was one of the people they brought in um, um, uh, to speak to this Senate panel that was considering this bill, right? And so... Um, and look, I mean, to be fair, there were people on the progressive side who agreed with Proceed Peterson that this is exactly what the bill was designed to do. In other words, there was a, there's a very prominent video and I'll probably link to it since we're discussing it by the head of 
the, the head lawyer for Coupa, which is the Canadian uh, public uh, union of public employees, right? So this is not a small a small job, right? So the the head of of Coupa, the legal right. head of Coupa, went right on video and said, "The reason why you ought to use the right pronouns is because it's the law." Now maybe she was wrong, but well, you can't what is blame it? someone like Peterson for thinking that this is exactly what the law was going to do was going to criminalize or legally penalize people for refusing to call people Zer and Z. Now, it, indeed, if it turns out not to be the case, then he was wrong. But I don't know that it's fair to say that he just made this up out of whole cloth or that he was hallucinating because you had some of the top, most prominent people on the gender activist side saying that that was what the result of the law was going to be, right? So... So I feel like correct pronoun is doing a lot of work there. So you're saying Zer and Z were what were being mandated, not calling somebody who presents as female she? That you were required by law that under the discrimination code now, it would be included that if you did not use a person's preferred pronoun, you would be subject to legal action of one kind or another. Now, that doesn't just mean she and he. That means preferred pronoun, meaning all the preferred pronouns of all of these 57 or 70 genders. That's what the law was written to say. And that's what the Koopa lawyer said it was written to say. And, Hmm. and Peterson, I think rightly objects that that's just not how language works. Language works through a process of cumulative, cumulative developments in common usage. And he's even said on record if we get to the point to which these are ordinary parts of the common language, then of course people will use them, right? But right. the idea that you could, by way of law, say by fiat, now you're going you're gonna to use whatever gender product, even if it's not a part of any common ordinary language, on threat of, threat of legal penalty. Now, look, I think that is something that's reasonable to react to. Now, again, if it turns out that the law doesn't do that, and there's now indication that, because you know with laws, Ultimately, you don't really know what they're going to do until the courts interpret them. No, that's true. And so everybody talking about it beforehand was guessing. Sure. But all that I'm saying, and I'm, I'm not here to defend Peterson. I mean, there's a million things wrong with him, right? But on this, I don't think it was unreasonable for him to think that that was, the, that was going to be a, 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 the effect, because, if only because lawyers on the other side were saying that's what the effect was going to be, right? Um, um, and like I said, particularly that the, the chief lawyer for the Canadian Union of Public Employees said this in a video that was broadcast, right? And so, um, which I'll link to because it's, it's very, uh, very clear. Um, she says it flat out. The number one reason why you should use people's preferred pronouns is because it's illegal not to. She says it. Sure. And I, and, any civil and, libertarian should be, any civil liberty person concerned with civil liberty should be very concerned about that. The government is now going to mandate Right? It's one thing to say I can't yell fire in a crowded theater. It's another thing to say you better call him Z or there's going to be legal sanctions brought against you. Right? Um, that's a very different thing. Right. And something that as a classical liberal, I could never accept. Right. I mean, um, 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 that's just a bridge way too far for any government to do. Right. I mean, yeah, like I said, I need to, I need to look into it because that, that again, I preferred pronouns mean something different to me than Z and Zer. Preferred means whatever the person prefers. Meaning if they're gender queer, 
and don't want to be called she or he and want to be called zer, you have to call them zer. Otherwise, it's not gender preferred, right? I mean, gender preferred means of any gender, preferred by any gender. Now, somebody who's gender non-binary doesn't want to be called he or she, right? right. Sometimes they want to be referred to by plural pro- pronouns. They. Yeah, which go try and write something doing that and see what a mess you get, right? Um, 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 and what kinds of confusion you wind up in, um, um, in terms of just communicating even the most simple idea in a paragraph, right? Of how confusing. And, and so I don't think, look, I don't want to get us way off and, and we're probably already anyway, way long, but no worries. I don't want to, I don't want to get us way off, but I, I do think that I don't even think we'd be having that conversation if the focus wasn't so hard on gender identity. I think people now have taken this now as such a crucial part of themselves that they now are acting as if it's a crucial part of themselves. And that's where you get some of these crazy kind of developments, right? Legal developments. Well, this is what I really am. And so you better call me. And it's like, wait a minute. There's a, what you really are in terms of your sex, right? And then there's the gazillions of ways that human beings want to live. And why don't we just protect those? Sure. As long as you're not hurting anybody, right? And then maybe it wouldn't just be such a thing that, that people felt they had to so fiercely defend, right? Um, 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 uh, and, and lead us into these weird places where we're not going to have to memorize all sorts of crazy pronouns and make the English language ridiculous and unwieldy and ugly. And I mean, you can imagine right, trying to write poetry like this or trying to write, you know, uh, I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, it's just people that don't even really think this through, you just can't invent words and change language like that. It doesn't work that way. Right. Yeah. No. And um, honestly, honestly, I think the danger of that actually being, Yeah, it's not going to happen because it's right. yeah, it's not going to happen, right? I mean, right. Um, 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 but that's I guess that maybe that's kind of a a a softer statement of my position, which is that this is not going to happen, right? Um, so why worry about it? Um, well, not not necessarily. Yeah. No, and I like I understand your concerns. I do. I just think if you're if you're thinking in terms of the odds of the bad thing happening, if you overestimate the odd of the bad thing happening, you'll you'll choose fights differently than than you would. You know what I mean? You would yeah. focus your energies in different yeah. places. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And look, um, even though I think that a benefit of getting off this gender identity business will be that we may not be having those crazy conversations. Um, the main, the main thing, and that's not the harm that I'm, that's not the thing I'm really worried about preventing. Right. right? I do think I, I can make it. I think I have made a case that the gender identity fixation has caused damage between parts of the civil rights coalition. Um, I do think that um, because if what a woman is, is a matter of presentation and expression, then lesbians are transphobes if they refuse to have sex with, and that then is a very, that then cuts pretty deep. It's, it, it, it creates insult and hurt feelings on both sides. It gets them when they should yeah. be on the same yeah. side. Right. You know, and I guess maybe there's the psychologist in me. I feel like a lot of these interactions, they're kind of maintained on both sides a little bit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But don't you don't think it's because of the proliferation and the fixation on identity? Rather than, um, we, you know, that's not the issue. The issue is what we should be free and at liberty to do, right? No, I think I think the issue is what we should be free and at liberty to do. And I think you're, you're right to think about practical concerns around coalition building. 
I just think if we're thinking practically around coalition building, and again, these are, you know, as with you, like I am not in the position of either side, you know, they neither, I am neither a female. You're neither, you're neither trans nor gay nor a female, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Nor, you know, nor are right. you as far as we right. know. Right. So, right. Um, so it's, so it's hard for me to, it feels weird for me to say, oh, you should be doing this and you should be doing that. But as an outside observer, the same way your position is, it seems like, yes, if you want to think about the ways in which um, sort of older feminists get yelled at about things, but then, and you understand they, the response when you're yelled at is to yell back. You totally, I totally understand that, that sort of instinct, but it just hardens things on both sides. I agree. I mean, look, I agree with that. I will push back though against what you just said, and that is, um, as a very committed liberal, I I don't I reject the idea that anyone is in a worse or better position to speak to any civil rights issue. In other words, I don't buy this that I have to preface what I say as a black woman. Blah 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 blah. In other words, look. I believe in the broad civil rights coalition as it is traditionally conceived. And so I think I'm perfectly uh, uh, within my, uh, within legitimate rights to speak to this question of what's happening to the civil rights coalition, even if I'm, I, I don't belong to any of the groups that are currently having the knife fight with each other, because I think it's da- it damages the whole coalition. And I do view myself as being part of the Civil Rights Coalition. If I had been around in Abraham Hot Heschel's day, I would be walking arm in arm with Martin Luther King, even though I'm not black. And, sure. um, um, and so I, 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 I really think it's important that, that liberals not allow themselves to be intimidated out of these conversations by identity. Po- now, I'm not saying you're doing that by identity politics, because that's right. another thing that's happening. Right. Right. You're now having panel discussions where they're not where they won't let men speak or they won't let you know because you don't you don't have the right identity right you don't get to speak um we all get to speak as part of the civil rights coalition all of us and um um uh uh and so you know um um this idea you know you can't speak on abortion because you're not a woman nonsense of course i can of course i can i'm a human being and i'm invested in the civil rights movement right but your experience of it is going to be a little bit different, right? And it's just, it's just practically speaking, I'd like to, whoop. See, you're just going to win by cheap now. You're just going to bring, you know, this, this fantastic young man in, and now everybody's going to say. <laughs> we're having our juice, so we're very quiet right now. Um, I think she's calling you. Anyway, what were you saying? <laughs> Oh, no, I was just saying that just, and this is not necessarily, when I preface things, I'm not saying I, I have I have no standing to speak. I'm just kind of acknowledging, practically speaking, that, you know, uh, other people have experiences that aren't, that I, I don't, I can't fully, you know, claim. It feels weird to say you should be doing this when I'm not in that position. So I just find it's more useful in general to kind of acknowledge that I'm not in that position and then people hear me more. As a strategic, as a tactical matter, you may be right. I just, I know that I've heard that framework used so many times to to silence people or exclude people from conversations. Oh yeah, um, no, and, and I and I and I think as liberals, 
we have to resist that because remember at the fundamental basis of liberalism is the idea that the individual is fundamental. Right. And, um, identity politics in my view is directly at odds with that. Um, 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 and, um, <coughs> and this is just only the latest manifestation of it. Um, um, I, and, and I think, you know, I think I'm going to write an essay on this. I'm just feeling it on this sympathy versus empathy. No, and I think that, 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 now we're thinking that, that sympathy only springs from empathy. And if there isn't empathy, we can't sympathize with each other. And I think that's really dangerous. Yeah, no. I, you know, and again, part of it probably is my training as a psychologist. It's just kind of, you know, I, I'm thinking, I'm really thinking more practically than I am like moralistically that, you know, I'm obliged to say I'm not blah, blah, blah. It's just more that, you know, when I, you know, I'm acknowledging that I, other people may have a perspective that I haven't thought, haven't experienced or thought about enough. That's all. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. It's just, I know, think, important to realize that real moral advancement occurs when I'm able to care about your plight, even though I don't understand it at all. Sure. And that's something that we're not training people to do anymore. And it seems to me that with this focus on identity, we're actually making it harder for people to do. Um, um, I think there might be, a, I think there might be a training training is not, maybe training is the right word, but I think sort of the preparation is two sided, right? Like, like you want to kind of develop as a expressor of things and also as a kind of to take in things as well. Right. That's kind of, it's two sided. And I just think the taking in part, even empathy, Sympathy, like until you hear the person's what's actually their problem, you can't even have sympathy, right? Mm. Like you need to actually hear what's going on. That's interesting. That's interesting, yeah. And, and again, this is not to say, you know, like as a white man, I should not speak or anything like that. It's just that, you know, if I want to sympathize with the person's plight, I need especially if we're not, if we're taking empathy out, which I agree, empathy is a very limited use. But if we're taking it out, it's all the more important that you, if you want to get a full picture of what the problem is, you want to just hear the complaints of the people who are experiencing the problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. Look, and maybe, you know, if you, if you would be gracious enough to ever do another one of these with me, I guess it'll depend on whether, you, whether your experience was good or traumatic, but <laughs> I mean, I know, think it probably it depends almost, on the it almost sounds to me like you're saying, and this is a psychological question that which you are positioned to speak to in a way that I'm not that in some very minimal sense, the, some minimal sense of empathy is required for sympathy, if not the maximal sense. Right. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. No, um, and again, it sounds to me like you're suggesting that, and I'm wondering, you know, that's something that maybe we could discuss at a later date is the relationship between empathy and sympathy. Well, I'm I think, to think that they're kind of antithetical even, and, and, but it sounds to me like you're saying, look, to have the sympathy at all, you do need to get enough to where it gets triggered, right? Is that sort of what you're saying? Well, I'm not, so I think of empathy as kind of an emotional thing, right? Or, I'm yeah, I'm listening. Yeah. I'm listening. So, you know, feeling what the other person feels and you can't ever really feel what the other person feels. So we're saying sympathy, which is more kind of understanding or hearing what's going on and, and seeing this. It's more, to me, sympathy is a little more cognitive. Okay. That's interesting. Rather than affective. Mm-hmm. Now maybe, maybe that's not the right way to use the terms, but that's the way I'm thinking about it. 
So if you're, and I think there's a minimal level of sort of affective empathy you need, right? Because sociopaths don't make great coalition partners, right? Like if you have zero empathy, understatement, right? <laughs> you don't care if the other person lives or dies. You don't care about anything that happens to them. Obviously, you know, there's some minimum level that's required, right? But beyond that, what you need is the cognitive, you need to have some level of caring about the other person as a human being, which can be theoretically derived or cognitively derived, but you also need some awareness of what the actual problem is. So the, uh, the people who were marching with Martin Luther King Jr. had been, had list, had read the news, had heard speeches, had seen what was happening. They were getting information about what was happening. Right. And I'm just saying that part of the, part of the use of sympathy is to actually listen not necessarily in terms of like touchy feely emotional listen, but just hear what's happening so you can understand cognitively what the actual issues are with the discrimination the person is experiencing or the mistreatment or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. So that's how I'm using That's how I think you're using sympathy or something like that. Yeah. And that's how I'm using it as well. Yeah. And so when I'm, when I'm saying, when I'm talking about listening as part of the thing, it's more that it's being in a position where you're open to hearing and you can, you can hear it and disagree. You can hear it and say, you know, if people are following you around in a store, that's not the biggest problem we face. So let's not worry about that. You can make that decision, but you first have to hear what the actual problem is. Mm. That's all. Mm. It seems it's trivial in a way, I guess, but it just feels like you need a little bit of empathy, but the main thing you need is this capacity to listen and then process in some, yeah. in some yeah, kind of- I'm actually interested in then what, what the result is of the listening that then engenders the sympathy and whether an argument can be made that it has to, it has to result in some empathy in order for the sympathy to be triggered. But I have to think this out more. And I, like I said, I think I'm going to do an essay on it. Sure. Maybe, maybe we could do another dialogue at some point on the relationship between empathy and sympathy, um, which sure. I, I don't know how much of the psychological literature you, on that you're, you're familiar with, but even if you're not, you're in a better position to interpret it than I am um, what's out there. And so um Maybe if I write this essay, I'll send it to you. And then maybe if you, if you think you, we could have a productive conversation, we could talk about it. Sure. So. You know, I mean, I'm, I have a lot of free time and I'm quite happy to talk anytime. I think. Well, not everybody on blogging heads comments, not everybody who comments wants to be a dialogue, dialoguer, you know what I mean? And so I, I never assume that, um, and you're a very kind guy. And so it's like, I want to make sure that you're not just doing this, like to be, to be nice to me in the sense that, you know, oh, I asked you. Um, I don't want you to do stuff you don't enjoy. So um, I, I no, enjoyed I, this very much. Yeah, me, me as well. I, you know, and I, both this and the previous conversation, which was not recorded, right? <laughs> kind of sad, but that's fine. Yeah, um, yeah no, I, I enjoyed this as well. And I, yeah, let's. I'm happy to do it anytime. You're literally, I mean, with you know, with within my calendar, but anytime. Right, obviously. Yeah. Well, thank you, Richard, myself, and um, now everybody. Uh, knows what a great guy you are if they couldn't tell from the uh from the from your comments um and yes, um I, yeah, yelling um, at glenn lowry is always a sign of a great guy <laughs> that's right and um thank you really a lot and um and i will be well and i will talk to you soon no thank you dan i really appreciate it and like i said um an email i'll say it publicly 
you know, I was pleasantly surprised in general by your essay, which is maybe why this conversation wasn't as much like a debate as it could have been. So. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be. I mean, I think it was, I think you brought out a lot of stuff. We, we brought out things that otherwise were, would not have been there. And I, I, I think you, 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 you're, you, you, you pushed enough that, that it kind of forced clarification and maybe some development in some areas that in the, in the essay are only sketched. So, um, um, I, I don't know. I feel a little bit like you and I have, a, and I felt this way already in the comments, we have a weird relationship in the sense that it seems like we disagree quite a lot. But there's a, it's very, there's a very simpatico kind of interaction. I don't know what it is. Um, well, I think that there's a, there's, there's disagreement on a very constrained set of things, which happen to be what we're talking a lot about in the comments section. But I think we also have a lot of shared assumptions about the world. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably right. Um, well, thank you very much. And, uh, I will, uh, hopefully see you in these parts again. And sure I was, it was nice to make a new friend. Likewise. All right. Take care. Have a good day, man. Bye-bye. Bye. Before you go, a quick message from the suits at Meaning of Life TV. Meaning of Life will always be free for you to watch and listen to, and we don't even go the NPR route of guilting you into donating during Pledge Week. But we do have a small request. If you enjoy Meaning of Life programming, rate and review us on iTunes. The iTunes algorithm weighs positive reviews heavily, so taking a few minutes to rate and review us will help more people find out about our shows. Also, of course, we encourage you to subscribe to our Twitter and Facebook feeds. Thank you.